Hello. Welcome back to part two of The Three Sisters in Black, uh, the second part of MM's excellent tale yeah. uh, that started in our last episode. I'm going to preface this with I am very sleepy, and uh, this is no one's fault but my own. <laughs> I was like, oh, you live in the Pacific Northwest, go on a hike. Sure. It was like five miles. It wasn't even that bad, but it was just like very tall, lots of rocky terrain. And then I Uphill, went. Uphill, both ways, right? The, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then. Yeah, uh, yeah. Elevation. And then I went to a one-year-old's birthday party. I mean, that, will do, that alone would have done it. Either one of those events alone <laughs> would have taken you out. But man, on the same day, that's a lot. And then after said one-year-old's birthday party, uh, as we all found ourselves in West Seattle, a few of my friends decided, oh, we're in West Seattle. Let's go to grab a drink in West Seattle. So we did Like that. you do in West Seattle. So I am just socialed out, a little sleepy, but don't take my maybe slightly more muted reactions as we warm up. To mean that this isn't still a bananas bonkers crazy pants. Story. Oh, it's bananas. And I am so happy that you get to relax, sit back, mm. relax, and enjoy the, the unfolding, <laughs> the other half. Um, also, lizards, if you hear a lawnmower sound in the background, that is because Super Husband is doing God's work and being a hero and mowing the lawn. Also, <laughs> you're Katie. And you're MM. Oh, and this is the Wine Times Mysteries podcast, where bi-coastal besties bond over wine. And mysteries. Even ones that happened, like, over a hundred years ago. Still mysterious. Yes. We also bond over uh, having old lady bones. Yep. Um, Sorry, I just switched glasses. uh, Which was a very old lady thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) Because the other ones were, like, pinching weird with the headphones. Yeah, man. I'm yeah, man. I'm so jazzed. So previously on the Wine House Mysteries podcast, yes, we yes. learned about mm-hmm. the Wardlaw sisters, um, which two of them get married and have different last names, but they are all originally the Wardlaw sisters, uh, Caroline, Mary, and Virginia. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are the three sisters in black. They tend to wear long black dresses and veils and wear uh, fingerless black gloves and be creepy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, They have a tendency to murder family members and collect, (laughs) allegedly murder family members. (laughs) Just to have this crazy happen. Oh, we need money? Time to uh, collect on Yeah, um, there's a lot of suspicious circumstances. Life insurance policies. So we learned about a lot of shenanigans that they do that that takes out um, some children of theirs, some Mm -hmm. husbands of theirs, and Mm -hmm. it all sort of culminates in uh, Caroline's daughter, Oshi, who Mm -hmm. survives with them for a very long time. Good job, Oshi. But we last ended our episode with Oshi sadly dying in a weird house that they're renting in in new jersey um that has no furniture she's just in the bathtub dead with a note pinned to her clothes that we're going to hear about the note today that's right and 
uh, Virginia calling and being like, yo, can you send a coroner over? He, he, he. And they're like, no, we'll send a doctor, though. And she's like, I mean, okay. And Virginia's giving no information. It's very suspicious. And we're like, where's Caroline? Where's Mary? How did they end up from having all of this money from all of their various murderous endeavors to being in this weird empty house shack situation? Yes, yes, yes. In in East Orange with Oshi dead with a weird note that there was no pen or paper for excellent, her. Excellent, excellent summary. Fantastic. Okay, would you like to hear the, I gave an overview yes, yes. of the note in our last episode, but would you like to hear the actual content of the note? I would love nothing more. Okay, here we go. Hold on to your butts. <clears throat> last year, my little daughter died. Other near and dear kindred too have gone to heaven with a capital H. I long to go there too. I have been ill and weak a very long time now. Death will be a blessed relief to me in my sufferings. When you read this, I will have committed suicide. My sorrow and pain in this world are greater than I can endure. Signed, Oshi W. M. Sneed, because her name was Oshi Wardlaw Martin, and then she married her first cousin, Fletcher Sneed. <laughs> Yes, I forgot so, about. Le- I forgot to mention in my in my recap the lay cousin <sighs> Dangeru part of this whole thing. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So okay, here's a recap of where some of our main characters are, where we pick the story back up. Okay. So Virginia is being held without bail in New Jersey, waiting for a grand jury uh, and whether or not they're going to indict her on charges. Because as you said, she called in to the police and was like, "I need a coroner," and they're like, mm, "No." And then once the doctor got there, he was like, mm, I need some detectives over here. And they were like, don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. So, and the probable cause for detaining her was, number one, she had been in the house for a full 24 hours after Oshi's death without ever going upstairs in this furniture-less, heat-less, foodless house. And number two, the pen that signed the suicide note was not the same pen as wrote the body of the note. So there were two different pens. These were done at different times. So there was a belief that the suicide, the body of the suicide note was written sometime before the events actually took place. I mean, and it would also make sense that it, it, it could be very easy for our, in quotes, mm-hmm. criminal masterminds to <laughs> have taken something she had signed previously or forced her to sign something, you know, because mm-hmm. if they've been drugging her, if she's out of it, um, you know, she was so thin, so maybe, you know, if they were starving her, whatever, or it was just she had signed something else by the course of being a human out and about sure. in the world, and they were like, interesting, thwip, and uh, we'll just write the note on top of mm-hmm. this thing she had already signed, so. Right that i see i see where the police are coming oh yeah 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 totally she is with the local undertaker for over a week and the undertaker says no one ever came to visit while she was there and eventually they have a funeral for her and then they take her body to mount hope cemetery where she was uh, buried next to her father and her firstborn mary alberta the only person from the family that came to 
that ritual of actually interring her to the ground was her aunt, Mary Sneed. Her mother, who my hypothesis last week is like the weird puppet master ringleader Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. these sisters that has some sort of control over them, whether it be via just being a strong personality, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that like orders people around. You know, she has gone to her uh, nephews back when they were living and been like, hey, come with me and do this thing that I'm telling you to do. And they're like, no. And then she's like, mm, maybe yes. And then they go and then they die. So it's <laughs> so my 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 whole hypothesis last week was that Caroline you know, they they would go different places and things would be okay until Caroline shows up, uh, Wicked Witch of the West style, and <laughs> doing what she does, fuck shit up. That's so right. I, it is extra weird that for her own daughter, Mastermind Caroline is nowhere to be found. It just gets weirder from here. That's what I'm saying. Buckle up, snuggle up, Ooh. put that blanket a little bit tighter. Yeah, in. y'all. Uh, because my bones hurt, I've decided to be swaddled in in a soft blanket. I hope everyone who's listening is swaddled in cozy cozy clothes in a in a soft blanket. So, because she is the only relative that showed up for the funeral and the interment, and because her own mother didn't show up, the police are keeping Mary under surveillance. Smart. And then they're like, well, where the fuck is Caroline, her mother? So they're like, mm, we need to find this bitch. To do that, we're going to trace the movements that we know about of Caroline, and that includes going into some interesting details in her past that they find out. So let's take a little ride. All they really had to do was set up a box and a stick and then just put like a little pile of money. I was going to say a pile of insurance policies. (laughs) Right. And be like, eh? And then just leave a little trail. Like, um, I mean, I hate this reference because James Woods is a piece of shit. But the way that family guy used to do it where uh, you lure James Woods to a trap using candy. And he's like, "Mm, piece of candy. Mm, Piece of candy. And he walks right into the trap. That's what you do with Caroline. You just leave a pile of money and she just goes, ooh, some money. Mm, I like that. Is money, <laughs> and then you yank the stick. Case closed. Case closed. So they start looking into her past. Yes. And as we discussed in part one, they were going over her record of teaching school, public school, mm-hmm. in New York, and how she became the principal of Girls Grammar School Number Seventeen in 1871. She re- she quote unquote retired in September of 1902, uh, and there re- there was a report on file with the city that the city superintendent considered Caroline mentally incapacitated at that time to conduct her duties as the principal of the school. And he recommended retirement. And of course, when she retires, she was going to get this big old pension. So according to the report, she had a very strong pull. She could be very charming and conversational. She was accomplished in her studies and in her persuasion and her, um, her writing, and she's also, quote-unquote, very shrewd, which I feel like is a very early 19th century way of describing a a smart lady. She's shrewd. Other teachers at the school, however, recalled an interesting fact that she was always having creditors show up at the school trying to get money from her, and that she asked to use the janitor of the school's home address as a mail drop 
even though she had her home address, she had the school address. So we see, again, this is like the early efforts of that pattern that we see later of them just having this crazy web of addresses and mail drops. It's I know there's no internet at this time to like look up a scammer or whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> in like previous towns where they'd been and they'd asked all these different shops and all these different people to yep. do their mail and da da da. You think there'd be like a whisper network considering that there was all this gossip about the family too just like no one agreed to this. No, she has she the is a scammer. Standing. She is She has the highest moral integrity. You don't understand. She is the Sean King. Of the early 1900s, don't give her money. Don't do okay, things. Okay, but how long did it take? How long did it take us to figure out Sean King? And that was with Twitter. That's fair. Although the... we don't need to go down that route. No, we really don't. But with Sean King, I have told people like I would. I've seen friends like share things from him, mm-hmm. and I've been like, you know, he's a scammer, right? And they're like, huh? And I will send them. Um, there are some really great resources. I just rec- really mm-hmm. recommend um, Lacey Mosley has a podcast called Scam Goddess, and she has a, a whole episode Ooh. on him that really, like, talks, like, it really kind of, it all gathers, like, quite a bit all into one nugget, so you don't have to go to 5,000 different sources. And, uh, like, the friends that I've shared that with have been like, yeah, but, like, he does a lot of good, so. And I'm like. <laughs> So there are also, of course, reports that she treated all of her teachers and also the students horrendously. And one teacher said that she was called in one day and asked if she could loan Caroline $85.50. And she was like, yeah, I don't have that kind of cash. And and don't you? (laughs) Right? And then she said she tried to hypnotize me and kept repeating you will loan me the money. <laughs> you will, Kate. You will loan me $85.50. Look, if you asked me for $85.50, I'd be like, of course. Thanks. There are a lot of people who would ask if they could borrow $85.50, and I'd be like, no. nah. And if they just kept saying, you will loan me the money, I'd be like, I will call the police. <laughs> I will not give you that money. In fact, I wonder if it's like, I, I say this because I just finished up uh, Nine Perfect Strangers, which meh, meh, don't recommend. Um, it has a lot of build up to a dumb conclusion. Yeah, okay. um, but the whole thing of Nine Perfect Strangers is that she's like secretly microdosing them with mushrooms, mm-hmm. and is it like is that what Caroline's doing? And she's just like, it's really easy to fucking hypnotize my family because I've been microdosing them with mushrooms, and so I'm just gonna try and do this with the powers of my mind only with this teacher that I haven't (laughs) given special tea to. Uh, So then, as if it wasn't bad enough to be like, give me 85.50, and she's like, no, and she keeps saying it, and like, how how uncomfortable is that? Shortly after that incident, tradesmen kept coming to that teacher's house trying to collect on bills that Caroline owed them. So it's like she didn't give her the money, so she just gave them that teacher's address, and we're like, that that's where you can find me, and that person will pay you. And she was like, "No, <laughs> lots of lots of pizzas showing up at that address. I didn't order this. <laughs> it was the equivalent of the pizzas showing up at that address." And another time, the superintendent came to visit the school, but Caroline wasn't in her office. So that same teacher was like, "Okay, she'll be she'll be down in a minute. You know, we're gonna find her." And then after a long time, they found out that she had just pieced out through a back door. 
which I found hilarious. That's something that like a six-year-old would do. Did you <laughs> so ever? Funny. Did you ever see Scott Pilgrim? Yes. I'm just thinking of the he's not here right now, and you see him like jumping out the side <laughs> window. Yes. yes, it was like that. Oh my god. Oh, uh, and then in in January 1901, Caroline's husband had a stroke. If we remember, he was the um. Confederate war veteran yes, turned yes. tobacco QA <laughs> inspector. <laughs> so he had a stroke and a neighbor heard a really loud crash coming from their apartment. So the neighbor goes over to investigate and he found her husband just laying on the ground groaning while Caroline was just lounging in bed, like totally detached from the situation. And Oshi was in the corner, like hysterical and crying. Um, and of course, the the death certificate. It wasn't anything suspicious. It was just you know that he he had a stroke. He fell into a coma. He died. Later, of course, they learned he had a big old life insurance policy that paid out to Caroline. And then, of course, he had um, other money and properties that passed to Caroline. I mean, sorry, they passed to Oshi through an estate. Mm-hmm. So, and this was also around the time that Caroline, because she had just gone into a forced retirement, started going to a local lawyer. And borrowing against her pension from the lawyer. Um, And according to the lawyer, of course, she was just like completely obsessed with money. And he basically figured out she was using the money that she was getting from him that was borrowed against her pension to pay up a whole bunch of insurance premiums. And she was always talking about insurance policies and loans. And one time she asked the lawyer, hey, would you give me $1,000 if it meant you could make a return of 500%. Katie, does that sound like the deal of a lifetime or what? Are you in? Are you in? That sounds like a Nigerian prince has uh, something to... He just needs me to spot him alone. <laughs> the lawyer was like, no thanks. Caroline <laughs> Wardlaw, the original Nigerian prince scam. That is bonkers. Although yes. I, now I'm imagining Caroline like somehow, some way, like I know she moves around a lot. So maybe it's like in, in her journal or diary or whatever. But I'm just imagining her opening this thing and having like a whole beautiful mind chart of who she has. Yeah, right. Um, insurance <laughs> policies. on Because at first I was just like, she's making so much money. She's got this pension. She's got, you know, what she does get from her husband dying, all of mm-hmm. these things. Mm-hmm. She does all these scams. And I think I asked her last episode, why does like why is she always just like scrounging for money? Doesn't she have all this money? But I guess if she she's paying for all of these scam insurance policies, like maybe she has no liquid funds. So this is just what the investigators found when they're looking into her background to try to figure out where she might be, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So December 14th. Now, keeping in mind that, oh, she died around the 28th. I think she called on the 29th of November. So this is December 14th, so about two weeks later. uh, A a super swanky hotel in Manhattan, the Bayard Hotel, got a phone call from a woman with a southern accent asking if there was a room available. Mm -hmm. And if so, she was going to be there in about half an hour. So in about half an hour, this woman, all dressed up in black, shows up and she has veils covering her face. They give her room eight fifty five, and the rate was a dollar fifty a night, which it was it was a fancy place, and she paid for it with a five dollar bill because she's got money. When she's in the room, she doesn't allow anybody in. She took food from the maid when the maid came to the door. She 
called the bellboy up and told him to go get every single newspaper he could get his hands on. Bellboy comes back with all the newspapers and she's like, here's mail. I need you to send out this mail. Don't mark it from the hotel. Whatever you do, like actually take it to the post office. Don't be suspicious. 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 Well, apparently she was, she had carried with her a black box that just had cash and silver in it that she was using to pay the bellboy with. Like you do. So at this point, the hotel management gets suspicious. I'm sorry. What is suspicious about a woman wearing a huge long black dress with like all like a veil and these little gloves and then like being like, no one come talk to me. And also leave me alone. Leave you the premises of your job and get me all of the newspapers. And then also yeah. Take all my mail, but don't mail it from here because clearly I don't want the return address <laughs> to point to where I am. I really just need a general postmark. I need you to do this for me. Here's some money to do it. Um, That's what's, right. What's suspicious about that? I don't know. For whatever reason, uh, these jerks call the police and they're like, you know that woman you've been looking for, Caroline? We think she, we think she might be here. So the New York City popo call their buddies in New Jersey and they go, Caroline Martin, we got a tip that she might be at this hotel. Um, because at this point, it's a little weird because she's wanted in New Jersey, but they can't extradite her yet because they don't have any proof that she'd ever actually been in New Jersey and she didn't have any charges filed against her in New York. So they're like, what are we going to do? So the New York popo go over to the hotel and they knock on the door and she's like, yeah, go away. So they're like, dang it, that didn't work. Can't believe that didn't work. <laughs> She's foiled us again. <laughs> right, done with her with her shrewdness. So then the hotel manager has a brilliant idea. Like, leave it to this hotel. This hotel manager should have been on, on the payroll for the popo. Hotel manager says, hey, mysterious lady who's obviously not Caroline Martin, I know we put you in this room, 855. However, we have a much nicer room that just opened up on the seventh floor. You know, we'd love to move you to the nicer room. And she's like, <laughs> um, but of course. Now you're speaking so, my language. At this point, a bunch of reporters had showed up to the hotel because now there's this rumor out that the woman they've been looking for is at the hotel. So they're busy moving Caroline from 855 to a room on the seventh floor. While they're doing that, the hotel manager says, she went out the back door because I guess it's 1910 and, or 1909 and you could just tell people this stuff. And they're like, oh my God, she must have gone out the back door because the hotel manager said she did. So they go out the back door looking for her and they're like, dang it, foiled again. Then they hear that she had been in room 855. So once they go out the back door and see she's, she clearly couldn't have gone out the back door, they go all go up to room 855. Because she is a huge slob, she left her little black box in 855 when she moved hotel rooms. I'm to sorry. The floor. Her box of money? Yes, her box of cash and silver. And other fun things, as we'll find out, she left in room 855. So the reporters start going through the box. I'm sorry. If I have just have a box of money, I'm handcuffing that thing to my wrist. Okay. Wait till you hear some more about her habits, and this is not out of the ordinary. I mean, that's okay. fair enough, but, like, if I'm, like, always scrounging for money. Oh, agreed. Like, also, agreed. I'm also just imagining the police again, just knocking and being like, well, we've done all we can do here. I'm just hearing the Benny Hill music over and over <laughs> in my head, <laughs> right? Uh, so, so the reporters start going through the box. Yeah. Besides the cash and the silver, they find all of these newspaper clippings 
about Oshi and her death and hotel receipts to show where she had been staying all over Manhattan since the end of November. They also found three different suicide notes in the same handwriting. The drafts? That were a variation of the one that they found with Oshi. So they oh. turn all of this over to the popo. <laughs> yes. 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 Katie, in the back, do you have a question? Why on earth would you not burn those? She's not the smartest. No, okay? she's not. So how did she get away with this for so long? She's not a mastermind. I'm Girl, just it's not even it is not even close to being over. I, I know, know, but you, I like, know. you keep the drafts and you keep the receipts. Like, why are you keeping the receipts for your I know. taxes? <laughs> so what, the reporters turned this over to the New York City police. The New York City police call the New Jersey detectives. And prosecutor in New Jersey handling this case, his, name, his last name was Mott. So then the New Jersey, so it's, it's phone tag. New York cops to New Jersey cops who call the prosecutor. And he's like, that's enough. So he issues the arrest warrant. So then the New York City popo go to her room on the seventh floor that night and arrest her. And she is, of course, horrified. And who could treat her this way, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just so glad that she finally didn't slip out the fucking back door again. <laughs> so uh, she goes and stays. You know, they had to have like a separate, they had a separate little place where they kept the ladies. I'm assuming it was nice. They keep calling like the the matron warden, you know, sitting here, was kind enough to tell her in the morning that there are all these reporters that wanted to talk to her. And Caroline Martin is like, well, I must go meet my press. My, my adoring public, I must give an, an, an interview. So this bitch is like, yeah, let me hold a press conference from the mail. <laughs> so I'm going to go through a series of questions and her responses. Uh -huh. Are you ready? No. And this was... <laughs> This was with uh, uh, an outfit called the New York World. This was like her favorite news outlet. So this is who she's giving the, uh, the press conference to. Okay. Question. Why have you been hiding? Answer. I have not been in hiding. I simply had to go to Louisville to settle a property so I could pay for my sister Virginia's defense fund. Okay. We needed the money. That's where I was. That's what I was doing. Question. Why have all three of you guys behaved so mysteriously? Answer. We are a very proud traditional Southern family, and we didn't want all of the high society of New York City, like my good friends the Vanderbilts, to know that we were in such abject poverty. Keep in mind the Vanderbilts were not their friends, and these were, she tried to sue them for yeah, a trip and fall the, outside the, on their sidewalk. Yeah, right? Like the Vanderbilts are all like, I don't know her. <laughs> <laughs> Mariah Carey style. Very Mariah Carey style. Question, why didn't you go to your daughter's funeral? Answer, when I received the news. Uh, by the way, lizards, I'm clutching my fake pearls. When I received the news about my daughter's death, I was so distraught and sick from this news. I just couldn't leave my bed. Could not. I took sure. to my bed. Question, how did Oshi die? Answer, she committed suicide. We were basically waiting for this to happen ever since her husband Fletcher left her, and she's been totally obsessed with suicide since that happened. She's just been obsessed with suicide. Question. Well, why did she write so many suicide notes? Because <laughs> at this point, they know a four. <sighs> Look, the answer is, this is what educated and refined people do. They write suicide notes, okay? Is this a mark of high society 
the illiterate and the unrefined do not. They just kill themselves. That doesn't answer I, the question. Katie almost spit her water out that, all over the place. That doesn't even answer the question. Like, that's like, no. okay, so she wrote no. one. Like, why did she write, quote, unquote, write four? The answer is, oh, well, I, did, I, I didn't nail it the first three times. <laughs> right. Question. Why did she have a wash rag in her hand if she was going to commit suicide? Answer. My daughter, Oshi, was a damn lady, and she was going to be clean when they found her. Okay? <laughs> Next question. I'm in pain. <laughs> no. If everyone knew she was so obsessed with suicide, why would you leave her alone for 24 hours? Like, wouldn't you just want to be watching her all the time? Answer. She asked to be left alone. And Virginia didn't want to go upstairs because the stairs were creaky and she'd wake her up. Obviously. Yeah. Again. Doesn't answer the question. No. Caroline. No. no. Question. What about Fletcher? That was literally the whole question was what about Fletcher? Answer. Uh, Fletcher 2.0. He left us last spring. He was supposed to testify in a federal case against his old boss. And it was just killing Fletcher to have to go and do that. And he said he'd rather die than make the trip to go do that. He told us he would write every single day. And if we ever didn't hear from him, we should know something happened to him and he was dead. And we never heard from him again. So he's obviously dead. Case closed. Yeah. Question. Well, why did Fletcher marry Oshi twice? That seems kind of suspicious. She said the first marriage was in Louisville in 1906. And we had to keep that quiet because of Fletcher's first wife's family and she his first wife was very upset she was going to cause problems and the second ceremony we had to repeat it in new york city because the laws covering marriages between first cousins are different in different states and they just wanted to make sure they were super official before their first darling child was born gross soups gross question why was oshi so emaciated when she died good question um, she starved herself because she was just so depressed and we tried to get her to eat. She just wouldn't. She just, she just wouldn't eat. Okay. Um, okay. Next question then. Why did she make out so many wills? This girl had like a thousand wills. That's, <sighs> okay, that's new information. Yeah. Um, look, the first will that she made out was to cover some property, some family property in Kentucky. And then we sold that property. So she had to make a new will. And the second will was really to cover some property that she had in Virginia. And then that got sold. So we had to make another will. And the third one was when she thought she was going to die after she um, gave birth to her baby because she was just so ill. And at that point, she, she knew she didn't want Fletcher's first wife to benefit from her death because if she died and Fletcher was missing, then without a will that that estate was going to pass to his son by his first wife. And that meant because that son is still a minor, that basically the wife would benefit from that and fuck that shit. She wasn't going to have that. Like, uh-huh. Question, well, what about Oshi's life insurance? She had a whole bunch of life insurance on her. The aunt said, look, I mean, aunt Caroline said, we didn't want it. 
We didn't want any of that insurance money. We tried to surrender these policies to New York Life, but they said that we couldn't do that because we had already borrowed against them. So, like, what were we to do? What were we to do? We're just going to accept all of this money, obviously. I mean, so then I will give one point in her favor. She she starts going off about how horrible men are and True. that if she is going to be tried for anything, she wants a jury of her peers. And by that, she means a jury of women because every man she's dealt with in the scenario were just grown up children. Then she goes back to her normal crazy self and starts comparing herself to Mary, Queen of Scots. Oh, well, obviously. Joan of Arc, because these were strong women that male society made to suffer. And then after their deaths, they were thought of as these wonderful, saintly people. And uh-huh. I was like, uh-huh. well, that's true, but you are not in that no. caliber. So so that's Caroline. Okay. So now we're like, I wonder what Mary's up to. So on December 16th, so so Caroline was arrested, I think, on the 15th. So while she's giving me this press conference the next day on the 16th, the East Orange and New York City Popo find out where Mary's staying in Manhattan, and they show up with a warrant for her arrest. She was going to get charged with being complicit mm-hmm. in the murder, so like an accessory right. to murder. And then the Popo start going through all the stuff at her hotel. And most significantly, they find another batch of suicide notes in the same handwriting as Oshi's suicide note. Why are they keeping <laughs> the evidence? I don't know. The, the description was that there was a suicide note for quote unquote every occasion and at each time of the year written out to different members of the family. So, of course, finding another batch of suicide notes, uh, Virginia's lawyer sees this as well, obviously she was suicidal for a long time and kept contemplating suicide, and so she kept writing all these notes. And to the prosecutor Mott, he was like, clearly you were planning on killing her, so that's why you had all these notes. And you were just waiting for, like, the right time of year or something. I don't know. Such a bold choice by that lawyer, by Virginia's lawyer, to assume that anyone would Mm -hmm. think that they were just, like, that... Oh, she kept writing these and they were just keeping them versus obviously they were writing it. Yes. Yes. Bold so move, Mary bold and Caroline move. are brought in together mm-hmm. um, to face the judge, which I think it was for an arraignment. And it was really just like, a, hey, we're keeping you in the jail yeah. until like you're not getting out on bail. And what was really funny was at first Mary went in guns blazing because they have the same lawyer. Oh, their lawyer's last name is Fort, F-O-R-T. Okay. And at first, Mary's like, look, your honor, Caroline, my sister, who I love dearly, she wasn't even in New Jersey, like ever. She's never been to the state of New Jersey. We have dozens of witnesses that will attest to this. I've also never been there. Like, what the actual fuck is going on here? The judge is like, okay, putting all that aside, because that's not what we're here to talk about. Right, again, like, like we're like going to keep you. You're, blah, blah, blah. you're getting so mad. Like, it, it'd be like if you, yes. like, I, like, I'm accused Indignant. of- like I'm accused of some murder. I'm like, listen, I have never even been to North Dakota. <laughs> and they'd be like, well, this is about all the murders you committed, not about this random fact about you. Right. So then when the judge pushes back on her, it's like, they're not here to talk about that. <laughs> Mary immediately pivots and goes, 
we have literally nothing to do with each other. I haven't even seen this bitch in a long time, and our cases are completely separate. So please, like, like I don't, I don't know her. She she pivots to I don't, I don't know, know her. Back at the fancy Bayard Hotel, Caroline, mm. of course, left multiple suitcases full of documents because she is a messy ass bitch and a hoarder who keeps everything. Yes, uh, one suitcase contained a packet of correspondence which indicated. Fletcher 2.0 might be alive and in Canada. So, reporters find this out, and they go out to find him. Alive, in a small Canadian town, right across the border from Niagara, working at a hotel as a cook, and going by the name John Lucas. Bert. <laughs> Re- record scratch. I, I bet you wonder how we got here. Uh, so I assume you're about to get into this because this is the obvious Mm -hmm. next question. Mm -hmm. Did he like want to escape his family? And like, then he was just like, but then there was correspondence. So like, why does Caroline know where he is? Why isn't he like, if you want to escape, fucking take Oshi with you. Like, I know it's gross that you married your cousin, but like, what, what is happening? There, we get different, of course, we get different stories from different people, even from Fletcher about, yeah. What happened. But he, here's the first one. Okay. okay. He, everyone agrees he left New York City in March of 1909. Oshi and the ants were all saying he had died. Mm-hmm. But there were reports from, coming in from Tennessee and from New York City with people saying that they had seen him. And he eventually shows up in Canada at this hotel. He tells the owner that his wife and his child had died. And he's just looking to start a new life. And he says, that's cool, but the only job that I have here is as a cook. And he's like, that's fine. I'm just looking for work. Totally fine. So he starts, he tells him his name is John Lucas, and he just starts working there. Because that's what you could just do that. I mm-hmm. just made up a name and moved to another country, and nobody fucking cares. And there were, of course, several ladies that were interested in him who worked at the hotel. And he said, no women for me ever. Women have totally ruined my life, and I never even want to look at another woman. However, fair. However, in June, there was a female visitor to the hotel who showed up all dressed in black. You're kidding. Mm. And everyone at the hotel said that he was really like troubled and disturbed for several weeks after she showed up. And he told his boss that he might have to be away for a couple of days because he expected his grandmother was going to be leaving him some money. He might have to go deal with family affairs. December 16th, reporters found him at this hotel and confronted him. And at first he's like denying everything. Like, I don't know. My name is John Lucas. I don't know her. I don't know her. Um, And then they finally, they showed him a newspaper that had Caroline's photo on it with a article about the case and he admitted that that was his aunt caroline who had come to visit him at the hotel and he was like look i left everything behind i'm not going back to it the past is dead to me i'm not fletcher sneed anymore so she no nobody was lying when they said that fletcher died fletcher sneed is dead i'm john lucas and with all the audacity of a white man in 1909 says you will regard me as such like you need to respect my decisions this is all very the old tailor can't come to the phone right now. Yeah, Like, it's just... So then he tells everyone, he's like, look, I left my wife in March. I worked in cheap hotels in New York City just to save some money. 
And then I went to Canada and I started going by John Lucas, which was my great-grandfather's name. And he wasn't trying to abandon his wife and his unborn child, but really he was just trying to avoid having to testify in this federal case against his boss, his old boss in Tennessee. And he said, look, it's all to do with Southern pride and you wouldn't understand. So like, I'm not even going to bother trying to explain it to you. I'm not trying to leave my wife and unborn right. child to the mercies but of I my did. absolutely bonkers aunt. But I did. That's exactly but what I did. I did. Even after he told these, he told other people that like she was dead and yeah. Okay. So he was alive the whole time. Huh. That's a, that's a first with the kids of this family. Yeah. But it also appears that Oshi did not, Oshi didn't know, Caroline knew. It did not appear that Oshi knew that he was alive, which is also just like, you're not going to tell your daughter that her husband's actually alive. Okay. So back to the trial. Back to the, the case. I, oh, oh, oh. I also like, oh. you're not going to tell your daughter that her husband's alive when that is one of the... Yeah, reasons why she pinned the suicide notes. Yeah. So now this lawyer, Fort, is representing all three of the sisters. And at this point, he's sure that Caroline had been in East Orange at the house on November 29th, and that she left there before 4 p.m., and that until she was found at the Bayard, that she had just wandered around New York City from hotel to hotel, and she didn't tell her sisters where she was. Mary told him that all three of them were in New York City on Sunday night, which was the day before she was found, writing a letter to the Methodist conference where their father had been a minister, asking, of course, to borrow against a pension that they were receiving from the Methodist conference that was going directly to them. So again, there's more, even more money coming to the family they've apparently squandered. Now they were writing a letter asking to borrow money against the pension. So they did, they did this collective letter writing. Virginia then spent the night in New York City, and she went back to East Orange on Monday. So now there's this new theory that is emerging. Did the sisters convince Oshi that she was dying and then give her the opportunity to commit suicide by just vacating the house and leaving her there alone. And then they were like, "Mm." but for the 24 hours after she was dead, they were also thinking that Caroline and Virginia were there for 24 hours. Mm -hmm. Caroline leaves at four o'clock. Virginia then gives her time to go to the train before she calls the police at 440. So this is like the theory that they're now working on. Yeah. At this point, the lawyer, Fort, reads Caroline's press conference in the newspaper. (laughs) And he goes to talk to her and he's like, look, it's probably for the best if you don't talk to the press about the case anymore. And really, if you need to talk to somebody about this, it should be to me. Yeah. And Caroline's like, yeah, I don't like that. So she fires him as her lawyer. So the next day, since Caroline is no longer his client... Fort outlines his new tactic and uh, declares that Caroline is insane, which I mean, fair. And he said, you know, if Mary hadn't been arrested, Virginia would have never said anything about Caroline's mental state. But because Caroline was arrested, she finds it to be her sacred duty to clear Mary's name in all of this. And that for... For 25 years, Caroline has been completely, quote unquote, mentally irresponsible and 
the Wardlaw family had tried to have her committed several times. I guess it just never took. And Virginia is just this really tragic martyr in the family. She kept trying to do it for herself the way sisters do. Two different times she established these successful schools, and each time Caroline would swoop in and just ruin everything because Caroline saw it that because she was the eldest, Mm -hmm. it was her inherent right to supervise the finances of these schools and basically everything that was Virginia's and Mary's was really hers because she's the oldest. So he's taking my hypothesis is basically what you're saying. Yes. Fair enough. But then now Caroline has a new lawyer whose last name is Hare, H-A-I-R-E. Which I know. He must, like, was, was the interview process for a new lawyer like, look, I want to do whatever the fuck I want. I want to talk to the press. I'm going to have, I'm going to have all these press conferences. I want to just, I'm going to spin yarns. I'm going to do whatever I want. And then you get to take whatever I say. You get to figure it out. I, I feel like at this point, it's who on earth would actually represent this person. So then because she has a new lawyer, Fort comes out and says, you know, our new theory is that Caroline is insane. Caroline's new lawyer comes out and says, well, actually, folks, here's the real deal about what happened. Oshie Sneed was, quote unquote, a dope fiend. All right. And that she used drugs. That's drugs a, are bad. Okay. Drugs that, are bad. Drugs are real bad. That's mostly a morphine. Left, that's a left turn. From... Right. She mostly used morphine, but she was a, an addict and she used it for two full years before she died. And she started taking it after her first baby died. She would she would try to stop for weeks at a time, but then she gets sick again, and like the siren call of the morphine was just was just too great for her. Chasing and the when she was when she was on the dope, she she would go days without food. She just wouldn't eat anything. She became quote unquote half crazed. She starved herself. And Caroline said, I am one million percent sane, and any allegations that I'm not are just an attempt to shift the blame onto her so that Mary and Virginia can walk free. I'm a very stable genius. Okay. It had very stable genius vibes associated (laughs) with this. So um, December 22nd, grand jury brings in indictments against the three sisters. Uh, Mary, I'm sorry, Virginia and Caroline were charged with statutory murder. And um, Mary was charged with basically the conspiracy to Mm-hmm. commit or aid in bed blah, blah, blah. so they have a trial date for april of 1910 this is december so they're all being held without bond until that happens february 6 their aunt that we talked about in episode one oceana seaborn pollock right she dies i was, I was like she's somehow still alive she was Apparently. still alive she she dies back in christiansburg virginia Okay. So they hear about this. So Caroline, as the oldest, takes it. It's her responsibility to write an obituary for the local paper. Basically, okay. the obituary says that she died from a broken heart that was caused by the grief, shock, and surprise brought upon by the false accusations against her beloved nieces, all three of which were suffering greatly from the bereavement of these two recent deaths in their family. My face right now is the emoji that's just like straight line mouth. <laughs> I'm just like, uh-huh. uh-huh. She never mentioned that, you know, her aunt had lived to be 
93 years old and maybe that had something to do with why could be died. could be oh so it's february of, of 1910 and they're supposed to go to trial in april mm-hmm. but then there this this section i call numerous trial delays for every reason under the that you can think of so in early april virginia gets really ill so they have to postpone the trial okay then in mid-may the warden of the jail, where the sisters are staying, suspected that the three sisters had entered into a suicide pact. So, because they saw Caroline as the dominating influence, they mm-hmm. moved her to another cell on a different floor. So, Mary and Virginia are still in the cells right next to each other, and then Caroline is on another floor. Then, a key witness for the prosecution, which was one of the detectives on the case, got scarlet fever. So they had to delay the trial again. (laughs) Damn it, Bill! You had one job! Then in June, the sister's mother, Martha Eliza, died in Manhattan. Can't believe she was still alive. It's about delayed again. Okay. Okay. In late July, David Sneed, which was Oshie's second baby dies at the Aww. hospital where he was staying in Brooklyn and he the reports were all that he had been ill since birth they didn't say what he was ill with but I mean if his mom had been taking morphine on the reg I I don't know I don't know Now do we do we think that the dope fiend thing is true do we think or like do we think maybe it's like she was being I think she dosed? was taking it but I I I mean we don't know whether she was voluntarily taking it or if she was being dosed but there were so many people that recorded seeing her in this quote-unquote hypnotic mm-hmm, state mm-hmm. And I guess there's I, also a picture i'll share that i found where they had caught someone to come take a picture of her in bed and she looks yeah high as a kite and maybe that also kind of goes back to that time when they wanted a doctor to check her out and um they were like no <laughs> and then they yeah. were like no you can't come in the room but we'll bring her yeah. out to see you so it's like all of our <laughs> morphine but even then it's like paraphernalia we'll just leave behind in the room can you just put that in the drawer i don't know yeah okay but then this is the best delay coming up this one okay the prosecutor mott got sunstroke in nantucket so the trial had to get postponed again straight line (laughs) mouth meanwhile virginia starts to get really ill and she just stops eating and like her health declines super quickly. And then on August 8th, she's removed from the jail to what they called a house of detention, which sounded much, much nicer and actually had like windows and rooms in it. And then so they put her there. On August 9th, they sent for the rest of her family that wasn't in jail. So they sent for her youngest sister, Bessie, and her brother, Albert. So they show up. And by the time they showed up, she had already been in a coma for 36 hours. So basically, they showed up there that day. They stay until 1 and then they're like, you know, we're really hungry, so we're just going to go, we're just going to get some lunch. And, and then they were like, oh, we got some other stuff to do. So at 2.30, the doctor's like, yeah, she's got an hour left to live. You want to maybe bring your sandwiches back here? No. So then, so, so Albert and Bessie were still out, and uh, they called the jail, called, I don't know if they really called, telegrammed, wired, sent a runner, I don't know, to tell Mary and Caroline what was going on. And so they were like, well, we'd like to go. And, and see Virginia while she's dying. And they were like, no. Nah. You're going to slip nah. out the back door. No. So 
The only family member that ended up being there when she died was Albert, who, like, it sounded like he just happened to saunter back in from his late lunch. Um, and basically, the autopsy was like, yeah, she starved herself to death, and it caused an atrophy of her organs. And she went back to Christiansburg to get buried on August 15th. So, September 24th, Bessie and Albert take action to have Caroline declared insane. And so they're like, okay, well, we have to have competency hearing. Um, but these were ye olden days. They didn't mm-hmm. call it a competency hearing. I think they literally called it an insanity trial. <laughs> the, the, the banana pants verification process. Yes. So this is basically a statutory proceeding that if they found Caroline insane, instead of sending her to trial, she'd go to an insane asylum. Caroline is now being represented by a whole team of lawyers, um, including one who has the best white man name ever. Wait for it. Chauncey Beasley. The fourth? Probably. (laughs) Probably. The group that's representing Bessie, Albert, Mary, they're going to have other doctors look at her and, of course, all of their witnesses to attest to Caroline's mental state. And this is where we get some of the actual best quotes in the book the judge decides i am going to hear this case without a jury because this trial is already so salacious and in the papers and like this doesn't need to be out there but i am so glad that we have the transcripts in general Mm -hmm. through this entire hearing caroline talks back Talks over the witnesses, talks back to the judge, talks How to the prosecutor. You? How basically. dare you, sir? But I guess this was a different time when it was, you know, I'm a, I'm a lady, so it's, it's okay if I wild out in court because I, you know. And this hearing lasted for a full month. Oh, my God. Okay. So the first witness was a judge from Christiansburg who had known Caroline through her family for over 40 years and had been her lawyer since 1884. And he said, yes, she was always a very difficult client. She's always, quote unquote, tinkering around with the titles to her property. And he ended up dropping her account five years ago because she just had really bad business judgment and kept asking him to do these things that he was like, that's not a good idea to do. And then in early November of 1909, Caroline begged him to handle her affairs again. He refused. But after she was arrested on December 15th, Bessie called him and then, or got in contact with him, then he and Bessie got in contact with Virginia, and they all agreed that they should take Oshie's insurance policies and reassign them to the judge to put the money in a trust fund so to provide a defense for the sisters. I'm sure I'm sure poor Oshie is like jazzed about that. <laughs> she's probably like, fuck all she's like, she's like, son of a bitch. So then he goes to visit Caroline in January of 1910. And she was apparently just livid with him for wasting the insurance money and called him not just a traitor, but an arch traitor. And he was like, yeah, she has no fucking comprehension of the situation she's in right now. Which I was like, excellent summation, Judge. Thank you so much. The second witness is one of my favorites. She was a seamstress from Christiansburg who had known Caroline for approximately three years while she lived in Christiansburg and had done different sewing projects for her. She said um, she always asked her to make her a quote-unquote waist, like Mm -hmm. everyone I'm pointing to the actual waist on my body, and was very explicit that it couldn't have any types of buttons or hooks on it. So what I took from this was 
It was kind of like the maternity belts that I would wear <laughs> to keep stuff on my body, <laughs> but like it's kind of stretchy. No real, but no belts, no hooks. Um, mm-hmm. And she said she she would make her all of these quote unquote waists to like hold up her skirts, and she would wear three at a time. And she wouldn't wear anything underneath her skirts. <laughs> well, this, one is the, time, this is the original layering of Spanx is uh, what is happening oh, here. Yeah. And that one time she um, she had the waist on. She was wearing the multiple waist and she had her skirts and like something wasn't fitting right. Right. And the skirt fell down and they're like, well, what did you see? And she's like, just her naked hide. <laughs> she would also ask her to do some crazy I shouldn't say crazy so much I get into it because the book is using language nobody uses anymore for three weeks she said I want you to just gather me all the old nasty clothes you can find and I will pay you really well for them and she was like "Huh? okay so she did that she paid her really well she said she also had a couple of weeks where she would just be like I want you to find me any kind of magazines, books, old newspapers, I'll pay you really well. And she's like, okay. She also one time gave her $5 for two kittens. <laughs> those, those poor cats. Poor kittens. I know. It's like no one ever mentions the kittens again. I hope I they don't escaped. <laughs> the third witness was another maid. This one was from Seoul College. She said Caroline gave her $30 a month to be her maid. And she said, they were like, did you find that unusual? She said, yes, because the usual rate was $2 a week. And they were like, all right. And she said, I noticed that Caroline would pack newspapers and trash in boxes and just leave it around the room. And I was supposed to dress her as part of my maid duties, but she wouldn't let me. So the quote was, she was, quote unquote, powerful queer about her clothes end quote she said she would wear a nightgown all day except when she went out and then she put on you know all black um black shirt the the black waist the black skirts with nothing underneath well i mean i would judge about nightgown all day but truly in this (laughs) pandemic she said she would also sometimes go three to four weeks without changing her clothes gross She'd stay in bed for weeks at a time, which, I mean, would I, given the opportunity? Probably. Sure. I'm but just imagining, ta- like, after four weeks changing your clothes, and then you just take them off Ooh. of your body, and then it's just like, it. they stand up on their own as if there's mm. a mannequin under there, because they're just, like, reinforced <sighs> with dirt. She also said, you know, she didn't take care of her hair, she didn't take care of her body, she never saw her use the bathtub. She wouldn't let her change her sheets on her bed, and except when she was like actually out of town, then the maid would go in there and change the sheets. This was a direct quote from the trial. Her room was the nastiest thing I ever saw. She never let me clean it in the two years I was there. There was apparently food, coal, ashes all over the floor. She would never let her take away any of the food she brought to the room, but she also wouldn't eat it, so she would just let it sit there until it rotted and that if she tried to sweep or she tried to take away any of the food that caroline would get just irate with her she also also kept a big box of money in the room and she would just scatter five and ten dollar bills on the floor because she liked throwing money 
took it and threw it on the ground. I don't need your handouts. I'm an adult. Please, you can't buy me hot dog, man. I mean, <laughs> that's not that weird. So the maid would go and try to pick them up when she threw them down, but she would just throw them down again. Happy birthday to the ground! I threw the rest of the cake too! Welcome to the real world, jackass! They brought in the president of a bank from Redford, Virginia, who said that sometimes she'd come in and talk to him and she was super sharp, and sometimes she'd come in and was completely disjointed and not making any sense. Mm-hmm. One time he saw her leaving the bank and getting into a carriage with bare feet, which seems not right. And that she apparently outlined more quote unquote financial schemes than anyone else he's ever met, which I was like, yes, that sounds accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, they talked to another maid from Murfreesboro who said she spent most of her time in bed. Um, she would hide food around her room. Including in her bed. Gross. Okay. And she only combed her hair once a month, and whenever she hit a tangle, she would just pin up the tangle and like go about her business. Oh my god, gross. So I'm just imagining because we're we're talking, you know, turn of the century. Uh the amount of bugs or vermin. Ooh, I just oof no in that no. bed, because like if there's ooh. hidden food everywhere. Roaches, mice. Rats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They also talked to Albert and Bessie. So they called Albert first, and he said their family history had several cases of quote-unquote mental imbalance, and that although Caroline started out as this bright, shining leader star of the family, she had gradually declined over the years, although it doesn't sound gradual. It sounds like she just stepped off a fucking cliff. And that in her youth, she was neat, she was pretty, she had this great intellect, And then between 1884 and 1892, the way she dressed in the manner that she acted became very unusual. She suggested a family reunion in 1891. And when they were all gathered together, she told everyone that she was the equal to God. Just so you know. And also, call me Salvatore. (laughs) Salvatore, your Lord and Savior. So he also said that Caroline accompanied him when he went to Europe for his education because, you know, that's what, that's what uh, wealthy men did. And that while they were traveling to Europe, uh, she lost a pocketbook in a train station in London that had $1,000 in it. Oh, my and God. Albert was like, BRB, and then he went to the train station and found it and brought it back. So they leave London and they go because he was getting his education in Switzerland, like you do. And when she left him at school, she after he found this pocketbook with $1,000 in it that she supposedly lost, she left him with $4 and said, yeah, you need to write to your father and ask him to give you money to live on while you're here because, like, I'm taking all this with me. I love it. She's just like, uh, I lost this. I lost this. Bye. And then he's bye. like, I'll go get it. And he did. And then she was like, um, mine. Oh, my God. So so then they talked to Bessie. Bessie sounds like... Bessie and Albert are like the only clear-thinking people in this family. Right? And then she went to New York with her mother, Martha Eliza, in 1885 to visit Caroline. 
And at the time, Caroline was living in a house that she was paying $300 a month for. So big, big bucks and super fancy fancy area, fancy house for fancies in New York. And she said Caroline was just a completely different person. She was neglecting herself and her appearance and that she would go to school to teach and she would just be amazing. And then she'd come home and collapse. Like it took all her energy. And I was like, okay, but same, because this is just what working does. And of course, in her home, she demanded absolute obedience to her and said that she was completely infallible. And so Bessie said, I basically told her she was really letting herself go. And Caroline's answer was, Bessie did not understand the trials of rearing a family and that it was so great. She didn't have time to dress herself. And I was like, well, same. Like, yes, that again, that you're a working mom. That will suck it out of you. She also likened herself to Christ in her suffering. And again, I said, same. Call me Salvatore. <laughs> Call me Salvatore. Bessie got married that same year. And so Caroline goes down to Virginia for her wedding. So the money that Albert didn't give Caroline because he was setting it aside for Bessie's education, Bessie, because she's the youngest sister, had let Caroline have some of that money as a loan. Okay, oh, you're, so Caroline income, you're never seeing that money again, CP. Right? On the morning of her wedding, Caroline goes to Bessie and says, I want you to sign a release saying that I never have to pay you this money back. And Bessie's like, no, mm, no, <laughs> like you need to pay me that money back. And so even though it's her wedding day, Caroline causes this huge scene saying that all of this money actually belonged to her anyways by divine right of creatorship, just as everything in the family belonged to her really, because she's the oldest and also she's Salvador, I guess. But then Bessie, and I will give her credit for this, made a decision. She's like, Okay, I'm getting married today. Like, fuck off. So then she just, like, signed the release so that Caroline would shut up and go away. And mm-hmm. she, she could, like, have her wedding day back. But, like, what the hell? Oh, my God. So then Bessie didn't see her again until 1902 when Caroline just randomly appears at her house in Christiansburg one day and says, Bessie, I really need to um, talk to your husband about a business matter. I need his counsel and advice on something. And um, by that point, it's later in the evening. So she has mm-hmm. to stay for the night. She didn't show up with anything because she, you just need to have this quick conversation with Bessie's husband. Well, Not Bessie, but Bessie's husband. Right. She wouldn't need, um, you know, new clothes or new underwear or anything mm. the next day because she would wear the <laughs> same clothes again and she's not yes. wearing underwear. So, right. no big deal. So, seven months later, that bitch is still there. She hadn't left. Oh, my God. And the room they had given her to stay in was, per usual for Caroline, filled with food, papers. Bugs nastiness so bessie's finally like i've had enough of this bitch so she's like you've got to go you got to go (laughs) girlfriend's got to go so caroline of course gets super mad and refuses to leave and starts again insisting everything in the house really belonged to her because without her she wouldn't have any of this stuff because she caroline had raised the family to this level that they were operating at and she had made all of these horrendous sacrifices for them. And so, like, if she even ever hoped to get into heaven one day, she needed to just give it all to her right now. And she was like, you know, <laughs> Katie has now fallen off the screen. And even though she showed up without anything and Bessie had given her clothes to wear while she was there, um, she said she had plenty of money. So she didn't know why she didn't show up with anything. Right. Because her kids 
Bessie's kids kept finding five and ten dollar bills just like literally. Oh, right. Well, because she, she likes to throw money. Come on, she, she likes to. Girl likes to throw it and make it rain. So at that point, Bessie's like, "Hey, Albert. Hey, Albert. Hey, um, come get her. Hey. I think we need to like put her somewhere." And Albert was like, "I hear you. However, I can't leave my work right now." In South Carolina, but I'm totally with you. I just think you need to go see a lawyer. And Bessie was like, seems like a lot of work. Like, hey, Virginia, Virginia, can you please come take your sister and like get her out of my house? So Virginia comes and she takes Caroline away. Now, when she leaves, keeping in mind she showed up with nothing. Yeah. Caroline leaves with seven trunks of shit that they said were mostly newspapers. It, it, I was, that was a weird request. Like when she was like, hey, bellboy, uh, go get me some <laughs> newspapers. I was like, is she like trying to like look for news about herself or no, 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 she's just a hoarder. Yeah. She also told Bessie that all of the inmates in jail were spying on her. Of course. Naturally. And that the lawyers that had been retained to represent her were really against her and like trying to ruin her, which of course. Because, you know. This sounds so... Um, Trumpy that I can't like I know I made the joke earlier I'm a very stable genius or whatever but like it literally yeah. sounds like his typical go-tos yeah and then the last witnesses they brought in were former lawyers of hers yeah which seems odd that they'd be able to testify yeah, this, but I guess it's a competency but, yeah but I guess this is a competency hearing is different um so one of them said that she was opposed to reassigning Oshi's life insurance to the defense fund because she really wanted that money to go to David, Oshi's son. Um, but the lawyers were explaining to her that David died, and she basically refused to believe them and said that the prosecutor, Mott, had kidnapped David and was keeping him. So Sure. That's, that's a, a leap that makes sense. Yes. Yes. And then Fort testified that she seemed like she just operated without any emotions and feeling. Mm-hmm. And she only ever referred to Oshi as the deceased and never actually referred to her oh, as her daughter. wow. I know, I know. So then they finally call up um, Caroline, who, of course, is like, I'm the victim of a conspiracy. The court's bribed. You're all bribed. You're all just trying to railroad me into prison. Blah, 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 blah. Then they bring in the do- all the doctors mm-hmm. that have examined her. And, of course, the three for the defense said she is 10,000% not sane. And the ones for the prosecution are like, no, she's totally sane. And then the judge is talking to the doctors and the ones for the prosecution. And she's like, so she doesn't throw any money around now. Like, I know people have testified that she has, but she I, she doesn't throw any money around. <laughs> and from, you know, the the wherever it is that she's sitting, she goes, only because I don't have any money to throw around. <laughs> I was going to say, like, literally that was my reaction was, well, she doesn't have any money now. Mm-hmm. That's so funny. And then and then another doctor said, she she told me a very coherent story about what happened with Oshi and that Oshi had had a suicide pact with Virginia and that Oshi died on an overdose of morphine after Mary Alberta died and then Virginia had also started taking morphine after she lost the school in Christiansburg and that they basically just kept morphine on the nightstand and 
They used it the way some people use cologne. Oh, well. Just, just. Splash here, splash there. Yeah, yeah. Right. And that she had all of these newspapers with her and clippings because she is actually going to write the great American novel. Oh, my God. That is why she has all these newspapers. Oh, my God. That's a reach. They also, the judge also asked uh, one of these doctors, you know, is her habit of buying new clothes instead of ever washing the dirty ones, isn't that strange? And Caroline shouts, it all depends on the laundry prices. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just imagining what, like, because you now she's like the team of lawyers, right? There's a, there's got to be a lawyer like right yes. next to her with just like a spray bottle, like, shut up, stop I'm talking. How Fauci kept putting his face in his hands whenever Trump would say stupid shit. That's what I'm imagining. Their lawyers are just like, oh, just stop. <laughs> Um, it reminded me of Will and Grace. Okay. Meg Mullally? Yeah. Karen, but yeah. Meg Mullally. Karen. Yeah, yeah. Of course it was Karen. Karen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. That sounds about right. So eventually, the judge finds her sane and that she should stand trial. He was like, he's like, she's really weird. She's erratic. But she's not actually insane and kind of like all the things that people are pointing to they're like not common but it's not insane by whatever definition they had of insanity at the time so and also because of kind of all the commentary that she kept making to the trial he was like yeah she's following things pretty closely so she's got some good comic timing you know (laughs) so now mary and caroline are going to be tried um and that is, he sets that trial date for January of 1911. So all of this momentum's building up to the trial date, right? And they had this month-long hearing. The press was covering all of this insanity. And then January 9th rolls around. And everyone's like, oh, it's finally here. It's finally happening. The defense counsel strolls in for Caroline and says, um, first day, Your Honor, we'd like to withdraw her not guilty plea. And she would like to plead guilty to manslaughter (laughs) after all that. So the prosecutor, Mott, and Caroline actually go back and forth for a while because Caroline kept interjecting, being like, I'm not pleading guilty to manslaughter. I want to plead guilty to involuntary manslaughter. And the prosecutor's like, no, manslaughter. Like, you can't plead guilty to involuntary just because it's involuntary. So no, but manslaughter, you can She's like, yeah, but I didn't do anything. So I shouldn't really like, I shouldn't say that I'm pleading guilty to manslaughter. So then the prosecutor tells the judge, you should accept the plea for manslaughter because she's really old. And the judge is like, again, you can't plead guilty to involuntary manslaughter. You can plead guilty to manslaughter. And the counsel says, look, we don't think she has any moral responsibility for what happened here. Oh, God. But maybe there's some legal responsibility. So the prosecutor turns to Caroline and he's like, do you want to make this plea? And Caroline, of course, in return, has a long and rambling speech about how awful men are. I didn't do anything. And New Jersey is terrible. I agree with a couple of these points. (laughs) So then the, so she makes this, never once does she say yes. She just makes this long speech. Counsel then turns to the judge and says, she accepts the plea, your honor. And the judge is like, cool. Bye. Done. done. And I'm like, they're like, great. See you here on the sentencing date, January 23rd. Bye. And Caroline's like, but what? 
So they show up on January 20th. So then the public is kind of all disappointed because there wasn't this big trial. But it's at the just, same time, now they're like... trial blue balls. Like, we were waiting for this whole big thing. And then it's just like... But... Yeah. But then they're like, well, she pled guilty. So is she... Go- her her counsel pled guilty for her. So is she... Go- are they going to, like, drop a big bombshell at sentencing, right? Because right. usually if you plead guilty to something, when you go in for sentencing, the judge wants to hear, like, I'm so sorry for this. This is what happened. Da, da, da. So... They show up for sentencing on January 23rd. And Caroline's counsel has something to say about what happened. He says, look, your honor, here's the real deal. (laughs) Oh, she was super sick the night before she died. And she laid on her dear mother's lap all night. Her head in her lap. Her dear mother who's never been to New Jersey? Yes, yes. And Caroline, just to get her to sleep, gave her a little little dab of morphine, a little dibble like she want, like she was wont to do, to get her to go to sleep. And then she realized she had given her too much, so to try to wake her up, she put her in the cold bathtub. And she realized she wasn't going to come out of it, so she got greatly alarmed, and she was half crazed, half crazed, and ran back to New York City. Note, she did not call a doctor. She just ran back to New York City. So then the prosecutor's like, um... It's a completely new story. (laughs) And also... If if that's true, that shows she's a real evil bitch. Because basically, she's like a dude who's driving super fast, hits a kid on accident, and then drives away and doesn't do anything to try to correct what happened. So she realizes Oshi has OD'd on morphine by her own hand, and she just... Leaves her in a bathtub. Like, yeah. Yeah. And instead, she just denied she was ever there and that she'd ever been in New Jersey and she has nothing to do with it. And she didn't know anything about it until she read it in the papers. And if I did know anything about it, it was involuntary. Right. Right. So Mott and Caroline's counsel are kind of going back and forth. And Judge is like, okay, hold up. Even if this were true, let's just go over the weird facts of this case. Okay, let's just start there, which I thought was an excellent overview. Okay. Number one, there's a lot of strange conduct by all, all you guys before going to East Orange and your daughter's illnesses and mm-hmm. all the large life insurance policies and all of your financial troubles. Mm-hmm. Number two, you supposedly had knowledge of a suicide pact between your daughter and your sister. Number three, you knew your daughter was using morphine, supposedly. Number four, your daughter's husband had a super strange disappearance that you knew about. And didn't tell anybody. And didn't tell anybody else about it. Uh, number five. You acknowledged that she was supposedly obsessed with suicide. And that she didn't think about anything else. And so she wrote all of these suicide notes that you hung on to, like, just for funsies. Um, I don't even know what number I'm on. Number six. The three of you, knowing all of this, took her to an unfurnished house in New Jersey and kept her there with no food and no heat. And number seven, you supposedly found her body 24 hours after she died. Mm -hmm. Number 10,005. You tried to create this impression that she drowned herself when she was under the influence of this drug. And so she couldn't have been able to have moved herself from point A to point B. Somebody obviously had to put her in the tub. Mm -hmm. Point one million and five. You then went and hid in a bunch of different hotel rooms in New York City under different names. Finally, you denied ever having been in East Orange in your entire life. So this whole thing seems like it's more than just 
negligence. Mm-hmm. And he's like, but anyway, anyway, you look at this, I'm a judge. And my job is to work in the public interest. And so when I know that there's someone out there who has killed someone else by basically poisoning them, they need to be punished so that there's no danger of anyone else in the public right. getting poisoned. So you're going to go to prison for seven years. But then you're also going to stay there until the court costs are paid, which I guess is something that they used to do. And I was like, doesn't that just ensure that people like never actually leave? Well, and, then, but, and isn't that sort of, I feel like that's something that still happens to this day. Yeah. Where like you don't court get. Court costs, yeah. Yeah. But like, but not, not just court costs, but like you don't get all of, I think it's one of the um, like voter suppression things that people are doing. Like, mm-hmm. like how Florida voted that felons would get their rights back to yes. vote but like then like the the loophole was like well they had to pay all their court costs first and it's like right. impossible to find that out i think john oliver did a piece on it i'll look for it yeah and if and if he did i'm putting the show notes but so the yeah. bottom line was because caroline pled guilty to manslaughter mm-hmm. mary gets all the charges dropped against her because you can't be an accessory to manslaughter because it's <laughs> not planned and then Albert 2.0 comes back from Colorado to get his mom when she's released and takes her back to his ranch there. So Caroline goes to the New Jersey State Prison where she goes into a rapid decline and she needs to go to the hospital. So they send her to the state hospital for the insane, ironically, because they have the best medical facilities there. All right. After that month-long trial of her being like, no, she probably would have ended up in the same place. Six of one, half dozen of the other. (laughs) There she goes. And then in June of 1913, she fell into a coma and she died. And they did not autopsy. They're like, yeah, it's totally natural causes. Like, she didn't starve herself the way Virginia did. And Mary just lives out her life in Colorado. And Fletcher lives out his life in Canada. And then, little epilogue. In January of 1930... A cache of jewelry was found in a safe deposit box in Murfreesboro First National Bank. And inside, there were three loose diamonds and two diamond brooches in a small black bag. Pinned to the black bag was a black fingerless glove with a tag on it that was labeled Miss Virginia Wardlaw. So everyone was like, did they literally just forget they had a bunch of diamonds hanging out in the bank? And they said they valued it at about $2,000 at the time. Huh. But no survivors of the Wardlaw family came to claim it. And basically, they still had creditors that were looking to recoup money at that point. So they, they took the proceeds from the jewelry sale. And then just to be super extra, they burned the bag and the glove. That is pretty extra. Wow. It was like, right? fuck these people. But here's the kicker. Nobody ever asked them why they dressed head to toe in black. Like she's Salvatore, and then like these are her <laughs> like Salvatore, uh, her supporters or whatever, and it's like a, a Salvatore thing. But like, yeah, you'd think that okay. would be a a first question, just like, hey, what's yeah. this? What's yeah. this whole thing? What is um? Yeah, and like, and then they could just say, uh, we're goth, and it's not a phase, and let. Let us live our lives. And then people be like, okay. It could have been like, we are trying to start our own coven and we decided there's a dress code. I don't know. You know, it could be something, it could just be like, no, this is uh, you know, I don't like to wear underclothes. And this <laughs> Look, underwear hides very that. Restricting. This hides yeah. that fact. And sure. I don't know why my sisters copied me, but um God, you know. they copy everything. It's like, can I have anything that's my own? If it had just been something they adopted later, I would have said 
they were trying to fool everybody and you can't tell who is who because we're all dressed in black yeah, from head to toe that's and you can't very, see our faces. That's very the prestige. Like, you know, there's twin Christian bells. Or right. Whatever. But like they've been doing that shit for a while before the scamming. Oh, yeah. So I... <laughs> Fashion. I don't then. know. Who knows? Fashion. I don't know. Yeah. And did, did she murder her son too? Like, did she yes. murder her husband? Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. And... Yes. Yes. She definitely murdered John 2.0 because he, he was doused in kerosene. Oh, my gosh. Anyway. Oh, that, I, I'd almost forgotten about John 2.0. Dang. Anyway. Uh, oh. That was fascinating. Wow. I'd never heard of them. Yeah. I didn't. I don't know why I just said, wow, like full on yeah. o, full Owen Wilson. Wow. <laughs> I um. said, wow, a few times to something uh, Super Husband said over the weekend, and he turned to me and goes, Okay, Owen Wilson, calm down. <laughs> okay, Lightning McQueen. Uh, <laughs> Lizards, what did you think was the biggest twist? What was your favorite weird thing? I mean, the Salvatore thing was pretty pretty great. Salvatore. Loved that. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I love a good fingerless glove, so, I mean, I don't question that so much. I do question all of the murder. Um, knew, knew you. <laughs> uh, this was so good. So, lizards, let us know what you thought the biggest twist was. Uh, let us know what you think in general. You can always find us at Wine Times Pod on Instagram and Twitter, uh, winetimespod at gmail or at our personal accounts. Uh, MM is at True Crime One Sixty Nine. Thank you as always to Chris Hansen. Although apparently he's got some shit going on right now, so maybe we need to stop thanking him. And I'm at know. Chaos. Uh, and we will see you next week. You can come pop a bottle with us and, uh, we'll see what rollicking adventure we get up to. Yeah. Don't take out any life insurance policies. No, no.